Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we are joined by Paul Michaud, who is uh, one of the co-founders of Pros. Um, so, Paul, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about um, the company that you guys have been building and a little bit about your, your own background. Yeah, I mean, first, thank you for, for having me, Raymond. I'm like, really, really happy to be, to be here today. Uh, this is one of my first podcast recordings, and I'm, as a non-native speaker, it's a little bit intimidating, but I think, uh, I think I'll be hey, fine. Hey, I'm on the same boat. Um, this is not my first language, so we're, we're, you're in company. You guys are doing great. Appreciate this. Um, but yeah, so Pros, uh, we're a direct-to-consumer beauty uh, tech company. Um, we're, we're known for creating custom uh, beauty products. Uh, we started with made-to-haircare um, products. So really the idea here is to reinvent the way we are thinking about the beauty industry at large um, and also thinking about the relationship between a customer and, and a product. So um, I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. So I'll just give you the high level. But the, the whole concept is that like um, mass production doesn't really make sense anymore um, and that we can create much more thanks to a unique relationship between a customer and a brand. And the way to do that is actually being direct to consumer. Um, so we created a whole e-commerce platform to um, really customize unique products at scale. So really, really excited to, to bring that innovation to, to the market. And it's been already five years. So. Uh, we have a bit of yeah. and and so I know you guys have started and been going at this for five years. But so why don't you give us a little bit of background about what was the inspiration for the brand and how did you guys um, get your start? Yeah, well, um, honestly, like you know, personally, I've been crazy about beauty since I'm 16 years old. I, I can tell you more about that after, but um, I think what's unique about this organization and like, you know, my co-founder and myself, it's just that we all really had like previous experiences in, in this beauty uh, market. So uh, my co-founder and our CEO, Arno, uh, who was actually like my boss at L'Oréal, uh, we met there, um, like I've been working in that field for, for many years. So when, when you work in, a, in, a, in, a, in an industry and, and maybe this is an advice for if anyone wants here to start a business in, a, in an industry, like it's, it's always better to know it a little bit, right? Uh, and if you know the beauty industry, you can see pretty quickly the things that you can make better. Um, and looking at that, like we just quickly understood that like after honestly, like so many decades of mass, mass production, um, like the customer is just lost. There is like, you know, completely like insane amount of products out there and like they don't know what to use. They don't know how to use it. They're not really satisfied with the result. There's a lot of like trial and error. Um, and that is really a problematic because 
I think, first for the customer, it's a massive waste of time, of resources, of energy. It's not like the, the desired outcome. And for the planet, it's the same thing. Like, we cannot keep on producing products at scale, putting this on the shelf, hoping that a customer will find the right product, use it, and be happy with it. This is just an old model that we need to rethink. So that's a little bit the, the impetus of, of pros. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that you mentioned is the waste component that goes into uh, traditional beauty, and maybe that's something you experienced when you were working at L'Oreal. So why don't you tell us, because um, I think it's consumers are so used to going to the store, picking a shampoo or whatever product off the shelf, taking it home. But why don't you give us a kind of behind the scenes look of what the realities of our, what the realities are of that traditional process and where the waste happens? Yeah, well, I, I, just to be clear, I don't think it's specific to like a L'Oreal or like my experience at L'Oreal is relatively short, right? And I, I didn't see all the backgrounds there. And, and I think L'Oreal is doing a, a, a good job at this. Um, but I, like beauty is, is similar to fashion, you just if you think about it. Like, you know, a lot of the, the game is still to sell a product to a retailer and that the retailer will be selling this to a customer. Um, and when you do so, you just lost touch with the final customer. Uh, and when you lost touch with the, with the final customer, it's hard to exactly understand like how the product is, you know, working for them. Uh, and that usually creates very long iteration cycle. And the outcome of this is that between the time the R&D in a company is like understanding like how the product is working and the time the factory is actually producing these products and the time the retailer receiving it, the time like the, you know, the customer is discovering this on shelf, like a year goes by, there's new innovation that you need to push to keep the market, you know, like exciting and to keep your, 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 your shelf space on the, at the retailer. Um, and that cycle basically just don't really allow a lot of learning about like what truly is working or what is not working. Uh, and it's not so much of an interactive process. So um, when we think about direct to consumer and when we think about the opportunity to really tie this connection with a, with a customer, we want to leverage that to also improve the product. And that's the beauty of customization is that like um, it's an iterative process also. So you'll be using your first formula. It's going to be an awesome one because we have a, a thorough onboarding to make sure that this is going to be an awesome formula. But your needs are going to change, right? Your environment is going to change. Your desire might change. Your haircut might change. Uh, you might do a hair coloration, whatever. And we'll, we'll just be able to basically in real time adapt the formula for you without having to create a massive batch of products that might end up just not being used and might end up being destroyed. I can I can totally see what you're saying in terms of like a brand potentially losing the customer forever if they choose the wrong product. You know, I think this reminds me of like the same case with like toothpaste and stuff that there's so many different variations. Um, but with the hair, hair is a lot more unique um, and it's different to people than, you know, I say mo most teeth or, or gums or stuff like that. So it's even more challenging. Um, but how, when you think about personalization, um, when, how do you also then think about, all right, well, you know, these companies um, that have built this go-to-market in a way where people just try the product without knowing are also serving a different generation maybe than like the generation you might attract um, with this personalization. So, you know, how, how do you, how do you serve that to Gen Z? How are Gen Z different consumers with this personalization versus say the older generations and demographics? Um, you know, do they have that same Need. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think that the like at the end of the day, like everyone, I mean everyone, almost everyone is you know like using hair care products. Uh, that's just 
maybe then you probably wash your hair and probably use conditioner if you have long hair and probably like, you know, the list goes on. So um, I would say that like we, one of the things that was, that is also very interesting with customization and that we can leverage is that you have the power to be niche without being a niche brand. Um, and if you think about like just the, any kind of consumer, like any kind of consumer might have different expectations or different needs. Um, and maybe you're not like you're even, like the most overly obsessed by like um, this kind of, I don't know, like a, uh, an, an outcome, a specific outcome that you want to have for your, for your hairstyle, but maybe you're really, really particular about like fragrance and you don't want to have a shampoo that smells like a particular fragrance. You just want to go fragrance neutral because like, I don't know, you have like headaches or whatever. Um, or maybe for you, what's really important is to have like a very qualitative product that like, you know, is respectful of the environment, is mostly natural and like, you know, really think about um, what you're putting into your, into your, on your head and, uh, and using under the shower. So um, I think that like, if you start to add these different needs, you also have the need of customization. Because if you're a vegan, but also if you want to have something fragrance-free, but also if you want something that like is great for um, you know your scalp, and also that every time you add an end, you add the complexity and you make the case for customization. So I think that resonates with you know the market in general, um, and I think that like that's really appealing for for anyone who is using the beauty product. And, and I believe this is the reason why you guys are DDC only, right? You guys aren't in retail because you couldn't drive that experience through that, through retail. Yeah. And it's really, it's really customized. So like, you know, like yeah. we, we, we had to create a factory in, in Brooklyn and an automation line to, um, to come up with this experience. Like the onboarding is pretty thorough. Um, I, I can talk, talk to you more, but like we, we, we used to try to work with her salons, um, and that was like an initial go to market strategy that we had. Um, but we just discovered that the result of the consultation online were like very good and that like people were doing it and it was clicking for the customer uh, and you know it was a great experience. So we really focused our attention into like creating this customization experience um, as an end-to-end -end experience, I would say, and building this e-commerce platform that is both a website that you can experience that we created from scratch. We're not on Shopify, we're not like it's our own e-commerce tool and stack. Uh, up to basically our order management system, our back office, which is tied to our um, automation line. So we created everything. Not, not only the product is custom, the whole the whole e-commerce platform is custom. Paul, I, I love the I love the way you guys think about that. And and to your point, what what you mentioned about thinking about customization. And I think a lot of businesses in the early stage, they can grow through, they'll say, oh, what do you do is you target a niche audience, a niche audience, you can grow through the long tail. And what basically pros is, enables you to do is target the long tail of everyone, right? It's not just one long tail, it's all the long tails. Um, and so one thing I'm really curious about, and just for context for the listeners, is like when you when you go to Pros's website, and I've, I've checked you guys out, you go there, you take this amazing uh, onboarding experience where, like you said, you're asking everything from, you know, age to hair type to skin type to zip code and all these different things that play into the factors of the hair. But what I'm curious about is at the earliest of stages, right? Once you decided that this was a brand that you wanted to build, what was the MVP of pros, right? Like, um, obviously you didn't have everything built out. You didn't have automation lines built out. What was like the first uh, iteration of, of the, the brand and the product? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's a good throwback too. Um, I think something that was really important for us is not to bullshit anyone. 
and even in the way we thought about like the co-founding team and the first employee, like, um, you know, my, my two co-founders, Arnaud, our CEO, and, and, and Nico, my, my CTO, like, there is knowledge about the industry. There is like, Nico, our CTO, it, is really like a tech dude, right? He knows how to create tech platforms. He knows how to like leverage, you know, the technology that we need to create in order to, to come out with these custom products. And very early on, we also invested, our first hire was a chemist. So we created our first lab in Paris originally, where we had basically a tiny little lab next to a tiny little like room, which was our office and we were from the get-go, like creating new formula and creating this thinking about like, how can we come up with a consultation and, uni and unique formulas? So um, I would say like, you know, there's a lot of conversation about like the MVP and like how an MVP and as a product guy that, that is very like important for me, right? How the MVP is like a slice and not just like one one piece of, uh, of uh, one layer of the cake, but it's a whole slice of the cake. And that's really like the, the thinking that we have. So like, coming up with the best formula possible, coming up with the right way to create this formula in the right consultation formats. We spend a lot of time doing so. We have a hairstylist that really know her and, uh, and scalp. We have our chemist. Um, we have, you know, also just like exploring the market, discovering that you can leverage API uh, in the US to tap into UV exposure to come up with like the wire quality, the pollution, all of these things that you can actually then leverage into creating a custom formula. So the MVP was um, was really like this consultation and like the the, the first um, like ingredients and formula that we could generate with that on three products: a hair mask, a shampoo, and a conditioner. Now we have more than eight custom type of products that we can create. So like a leave-in conditioner, if you think, or a dry shampoo, things like this. Um, and then the go-to market was to go with hairstylist. So we actually created an app, uh, and the idea was to for hairstylists to download the app. Uh, and then sell and create, first create and then sell a product to their own customer. And for us, it was the best idea in the world because they used to make a lot of money selling professional products, but basically Amazon, Sephora, like stole their market and they don't sell so much anymore. Um, and they also like really have the knowledge, have the expertise, have this relationship with the customer to do so. Um, but it turned out not to be as successful as what we wish. Um, it was hard to, first our brand was, you know, non-existent. So I would talk to her stylist and be like, Hey guys, like, you like, you need to learn about pros. This is very cool. Like, uh, brand. And then they would go online and on Instagram and they will see that they have more followers than the brand. They're like, this is, this is weird. Um, so it took us a lot of time to trying to iterate there and finally just understand that like, it was not fitting their, um, their ways of doing and the, their relationship with their, with their, with their customer. They didn't really have the time to do the consultation with them. Um, and this is when we were like, okay, like, you know, direct consumer also isn't something that we always had in mind, but like, as maybe like a later stage. Um, and we just like start to work on that a little bit quicker than, um, than what we had originally done. One, one question that I had is um, about custom formulation and about uh, shampoos. Before you guys started doing this, was this something that um, was done in like the higher end of so the salon spectrum um, where people would kind of come up with their own shampoos or was it just a bet that you guys had and made that like having a perfectly tailored shampoo would be the best thing possible? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because like Catherine, so, uh, you know, the first uh, co-founder co chemist that we had basically like um, she um, has a lot of experience in hair care and she has been doing this like most of her life and um, if you met her, you, you would know that she had a lot of experience. And um, 
And when we started to pitch her on the project, she, she just like really looked at us and be like, duh. And was like, wait, like you're not excited about this? Like you think it's just a bullshit idea? There is no future for customization in beauty? Like, and she's like, no, 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 it's just that like I used to do that already. Like this is not really new. And I was like, what do you mean? And so she, she used to work in a, so she's really a chemist, but she used to work in a hair salon that also had the hair stylist had his own line of products. Um, very famous hair stylist in France. And he has his whole line of products that were like distributed like across like different countries and it was pretty large. But for some very VIP clients, she would in the salon do a consultation with them, run to the lab, create these unique products that was like extremely expensive and sell that to these VIP customers. Um, and so we're like, Eureka, this is what we want to be doing, but at scale. So like, how can we like just create this, but in a way that like, you know, it doesn't have to be so much of a like elitist experience, but something that we can be, that anyone can basically purchase. So, um, so that, that was pretty interesting. And I would say overall, like it's, it used to be more the case, like, uh, you know, when you think about like apothecary beauty products and things like that, like for us, the anomaly is not customization. The anomaly is mass production. And that's that part of time where we just decided to create the same product for most of the people. And so I, I think that's an amazing framework to think from because, you know, they talk about the most disruptive startups, how they're able to, you know, create magic by taking something that was exclusive to only the VIPs of the VIPs and be able to bring that to the masses. So we've seen several examples of this, you know, whether it's Uber, Airbnb, um, all these different startups that are just capturing these like these markets that were traditionally reserved for the ultra VIPs and then bringing it to the masses. Um, so the fact that that existed or that she had already tried that in hair care, like that from, for, from a product perspective, like you were saying, that should have been a light bulb, right? You're like, oh my God, this is something that we can really take, tap into if we take it to the masses. Yeah, I feel that like any kind of early sign of product market fit that you can have as an entrepreneur is something that you want to have, right? So like if you <laughs> if you meet someone that tells you like, hey, I used to do something like quite similar, I mean, it's very different than what we're doing today, right? Like I think we went from like basically no tech to like super high tech, but um, but it's, it's the ethos is still the same. So I think that like it's it's always a good sign that you want to grab and, um, and that you want to leverage. I think that that reminds me too of like something like masterclass, which is you're democratizing learning, you know, one on one from these huge um, professionals or, or or celebrities in a specific vertical. So, OK, so you validated um, the approach of personalization with the beauty salons. But then it seems like, all right, but from a go to market strategy, this is not going to be the channel and not going to be the scalable channel. And so how did then you guys started to approach the DDC component. It was a good period in time. It sounds like if it was five years ago, it was yeah. early in DDC. So how did that go? Yeah, I think the like we did not discover D2C because like the hairstylist like what you know what was not really performing the way we we wanted to perform. Uh, so it was already something that we we're thinking about as a, as another channel. Um, but you know, um, we even five years ago, like you knew that like sort of diversification of acquisition channels is something important. And, um, and so we're still like very interested to look into the, the hairstylist one uh, while trying to build our consumers. So what we did is just a lot of like UX research, right? Like can people answer that by themselves? Can we reward the consultation so that like, I'm not asking you a question that sounds too technical and that is intimidating and you're like, oh my God, I cannot answer that. I cannot use that product. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing so and, um, and iterating on this. And then we just like, 
we had already created a huge part of the back office and now other management system. So then we just created, you know, basically the front end piece of that and, and the experience there. Uh, and I said just created, but that was like, you know, crazy amount of work. When I see today a lot of e-commerce website coming up with quizzes and just like, you know, the quiz is the right way to sell. And sometimes there is no customization after this. Like we, I think we were one of the first ones really coming up with sort of this boom formats um, and trying really to balance sort of having a customer going through this at a time where everyone was, you know, thinking about one click checkout. And it was just like, I mean, I, I can tell you the first time we pitched this uh, to an early business angel, it was like, guys, you didn't understand anything about e-commerce. E-commerce is about like, you know, one click checkout and that's it. And it was like, no, no, it's actually great to create friction and some friction is sometimes useful and that this is how we make a sale. And this is how we take the time to actually close on a sale as opposed to just like click here. You did not understand anything about the product, but like hopefully you're going to buy it. So <laughs> we, we, we spent a lot of time creating this funnel uh, and creating the tech stack to, to make it work. Um, and and we, we launched pretty, pretty quickly. I think that's something that was important and different than today was that um, Five years ago, like raising for a direct consumer business was probably in some ways like easier than today. Um, so we were able to like find, you know, incredible investors uh, pretty early on, both in France um, and in the US to, to do so. Um, so Isaiah in France, which is a great, uh, great fund and there are people here in the US, foreigner. Um, so a lot of this, um, this, I would say, both intelligence, but also capital available, like made us able to scale and to start spending, you know, on ads and to start like applying a D2C playbook to, to acquire customers. So, um, yeah, that was that was really good timing. Yeah. And um, Paul, just to read out uh, one of your quotes about D2C and how you guys uh, thought about it, you said D2C is not only hard because it requires flawless execution, it's hard because you need to have a very good reason to be DTC in the first place, which usually means reinventing an experience. Pros is a D2C business because we had to, not because CAC used to be cheap, right? Um, so I think this really ties into what you were saying about, hey, we're not just here to like build another brand that we can one-click checkout. We built it online because in order to deliver the experience of personalization at scale, we had to be online. We had to be able to create experiences where the customer can go through. We can collect the, the personal information that is going to lead to that hyper-personalized uh, end product for them so we can provide them with an amazing experience. It's not just because, oh, like, you know, we found a great way to crack the Facebook ads code and scale up from there, right? Um, so I think, I think sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. No, but like it's everyone knows that like the the early days of cheap of cheap CAC is, I mean, someone coming today and saying like, hey, I'm launching a direct consumer brand because it's cheaper to a customer to acquire a customer. Like, I mean, bring me that person, and you know, I would <laughs> love to prove that person wrong. But um, it's not only that. I think it works when you actually have a product that makes a case for it. Again, like we have great conversion rate, and we you know we're really happy by the numbers that we're seeing because. Because like customers don't understand the reason, like, sorry, let me rephrase that. Because customers do actually understand the reason why they cannot find us on Amazon. Uh, and when they come on our website, they know that this is where they can purchase. And they're not going to try to find a better price for the product, like trying to go to Sephora and collect points or whatever, or like, they know this is where it happens. Um, and I think that like, if I have an advice for, for any uh, entrepreneur, like anyone thinking about their consumer is, um, like 
I mean, first is not to listen to advice. It's my first advice to everyone. But the, the, the second one is <laughs> thinking about like the channels and how you want to use it. Like you, like maybe you, you're not a direct consumer brand. Maybe you're just like a very cool CPG brand, but you're not a direct consumer. Maybe that's okay. Uh, it is, it is a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a key thing. And the same thing, like maybe you don't have to be a tech company either. Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to knowing your brand and uh, being authentic to it, right? And I think we you, we see this a ton and a lot of the brands that we bring on the podcast, maybe they're CPG um, and there's certain CPG products that like really don't, maybe there's a niche use for selling as on D2C as a channel, but like, you know, you're, you're taking a, a drink of a, a sparkling water right now, like that stuff is really heavy to ship and it sells really well in retail. So, you know, for a brand like that, that's the strategy to take. Whereas if you're, if you're tailoring a specific customized product, that's something that you're using every single day, then the channel of DDC, the way you can, uh, you can enrich the data and provide a hyper-personalized experience through every single touch point, it's, um, it's very important. So that leads me to um, the question that uh, I, I wanted to get into about fundraising in the early days. You said you guys are backed by some really great VCs in the space who believed in you early on. Um, so what, like in the early days of when you were raising, right, were, what were the hypotheses that you were trying to prove out and test? Were you, um, were you building out your facilities to create this? Were you acquiring some customers and trying to validate that way? What was kind of, or were you building out team? Like what were some of the initial uses of capital and how did that help set the infrastructure for where you guys have been able to take the company since? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Like, I think we've been like, for back in the days, like also back in the days, it looks like we've been doing this for 50 years now. Um, but like, you know, five years ago, like probably the, the amount raised were, were like a bit different than today. And like, you know, uh, a series A was, you know, maybe some something like $10 million and not like $100 million for, for <laughs> maybe not 100, but you, you get my point. Um, and, I think, in a sense, it was somewhat like easy for us to raise, and it's never easy to raise, but like easier than other brands maybe to raise. It's just because of the talents at the beginning and like how clear it was for everyone that we wanted to invest in incredible talents and really into building a new kind of experience. So um, we've been able to raise significant amount of money actually before selling any products um, and, and millions of dollars doing so before selling any products. And I think the reason why investors like trusted us was just like the expertise that we had as co-founders, like sort of um, the fact that like the product market fit for a product like that seemed a little bit obvious and that like it's not a whole new category, it's not a whole new product in itself. It, it is still like a beauty product that most of the people are using on an everyday basis. Um, and then I think we really had a good story to share on like how can we create a playbook um, for customized beauty and how can we like create a moat around us with customization, with the data, with the automation that really make, like, make us a unique brand. Um, and, and this is where we invested the money. We built very early on our, um, you know, capabilities to create the product. So again, our own chemist, we don't go through like an external lab or whatever. Like, you know, I think a lot of CPGD brands like outsource actually their uniqueness, right? And then it's hard to, to, to answer like what makes you unique. It's just like, well, no, we all use the same lab and <laughs> create small, it's the same product. We change the fragrance and the packaging, but no, like it's our own chemist, it's our own lab. Um, it's our own tech platform. 
Uh, again, not because we wanted to be tech, but because we had to come up with a tech platform to create these custom products. And then overall, it's our own platform. It's our own like front-end experiment. It's your own data too. It's also our own data. So um, we really like invested early on on this kind of, uh, on these uh, different um, areas so that like we can come up with a product that was great from the beginning, including rebranding. Um, so super lucky that, you know, we got to work with Random Pearl early on, um, coming up with the right name for our brand, coming up with the right, like, initial, I would say, <clears throat> um, yeah, initial, like, brand guidelines and brand style, and that we, we, we of course, we change it, you know, every, every year, more than every year, but, like, this is still true today in a large capacity, and that is, that's really unique, and we're, I think we, we made the right investment at that time. That's another thing I'd love to touch on for a little bit, Paul. So you guys have built pros into one of the preeminent consumer brands. Um, and I know this because, uh, you know, even when I was talking with some friends about some of our episodes coming up and I was like, oh, I'm chatting with Paul from pros. Everyone's like, oh, wow, pros, like amazing. Like what a, what a great brand, you know? So that just goes to show even on a personal uh, level, like how well you guys have done in terms of branding. So could you walk us through a little bit about your philosophy of building a brand, what that looks like in the earliest of stages, um, you know, and how you laid that foundation, I guess, to grow into something that is really, you know, uh, a, a top, top, a level brand? Yeah. Um, well, I think first knowing the importance of a brand is key, right? And I think some founders like, I mean, today it's it's very top of mind, but like some founders still like some forget about that a little bit. Uh, and maybe they don't do the right investment in, in terms of like branding and like making sure that you have the right name. There's a science to it. Like you just need to work with the right people. Um, and I think we knew that, right? Coming from, uh, I had a bit of exposure to work at Christian Dior or like working at L'Oreal, like you're, you know the importance of a brand. Um, so again, for, for us, what was very important is trying to, def to really clearly define what, what made us unique. Um, and customization was part of that, but also sustainability. Like very early on, we decided to become a big corporation. Um, I think very early on also, we really tried to make sure that like transparency was, you know, one of our key, uh, key pillar for us, like transparency around ingredients. Um, and overall that we were here trying to create a relationship and to really like, understand the customer and then celebrate this customer for, you know, everything that makes them unique. And we, um, that's how we come up with the name pros, uh, which is your unique way of expressing yourself. And we just want to be that brand that enables for you to do that without, you know, uh, having to think so much about what beauty products you should be using. Um, and we, we really spent an incredible amount of time right from the beginning, trying to really like put everything on the paper and, and create the foundation for that brand. Um, honestly, working with an agency was something very important for us. Like, although you think that you're maybe good at branding or that you're exposed to like the importance of a brand, like I'm not an artistic director. I'm not like, um, you know, the, the best at like copywriting, even, even more when it's in English. Um, so working with like really, you know, specialized people that know this is, is a good advisor to have. And, um, and we were lucky to work with Red and Pearl and also to, um, to hire Rashi Yellow, you know, who has really joined us early on. Uh, Rashi came from Jean Lane. She had this like very incredible creative background. She gets it. Uh, she has been helping us build that brand for the last four years now. 
and stay related on, you know, during you know, all that time. What I, I love that, you know, that you have that experience with Dior um, and L'Oreal and just really understand that the, the power of branding and, and how it can really build a community that rides for you um, and attract the right consumer, too. So uh, what advice do you have for any any person who's like, you know, starting a brand and working with an agency? Because I believe, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, you just give it to an agency and they'll just do the magic. But in reality, the agency needs you a lot. Um, yeah. You know, they you you need to collaborate with the agency. It's not just hire them. So, what was your involvement like, and and what kind of advice do you have so people get it right when when working with an agency for branding? Yeah, I think that the the first thing to to remember, and pardon my French, but it's like it's one of the first thing I learned when I uh, worked a little bit at PNG. Uh, which was, you know, my first long internship. When you do like a master in France, you do this like long internship. Um, and and the first thing that that I learned is shit in, shit out. Meaning that like if your brief is not great, then like the outcome cannot be great. Um, and and like it's not like no no one else than you and your co-founders and like the people who thought about the reason why you want to come up with a product are going to be the one. Like no one else is going to be the one like helping you on the strategy and the reason why like you need to exist and like what makes you want to like go on this crazy entrepreneurial journey that is going to be so tough and so challenging but also so rewarding. So I think if you're not able really to like come up with a clear brief, understand personally the reason why you wake up every day to do that and really trying to be able to share that in a way that is clear, uh, that leaves room for conversation, that leaves room for challenges, that leaves room for you know, being surprised by someone else's idea. Of course, you, you need to be flexible there, but you need to be clear. You need to know, you need to know what you want. Um, and, and I think that like working in, with previous like large companies and working with the different agencies, like I think we were aware of the importance of a good brief. Um, so like, don't rush, like take the time trying to really think through like what, what is the outcome that you're looking for and be honest with yourself, like you need, you're going to be the one coming up with the strategy. There's these people are here to like as enablers. They're not going to be doers of your whole brand. Yeah, I mean, and and given again, given your expertise, then in the branding, in the product side, um, in hair, how did you then? How did your role evolve? Because you know you raised the capital. Um, now you can cover all of these areas that the tech customization the branding, the product. So what did product mean? You know, is it is it tech product? Is it also the physical product? And and how did, did you evolve the role as you added all these people in these kind of domains? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Like I, so my area of responsibility is really like, <clears throat> on top of being a co-founder and sitting at the board and all these things, like my, my day-to-day is overseeing um, the, the digital product and the customer experience overall. So um, I have a team of, product managers, of product designers, of UX researchers um, that creates a product team. And then I have a team of expert in customer experience and customer service um, working day-to-day with our customers to deliver the best experience. And I do both because I'm eating my own dog food. Like I want to create the best online product. I want to create the best online experience. Um, that is also like so key in the outcome, again, of that physical product, like the two like the, the physical product doesn't exist with the digi- without the digital experience. 
And, and it's very good for me to have the feedback directly from the customer reporting into me so that like, you know, we, we have the right, the right knowledge and the right information to come up with the right experience. So um, I think I've been pretty lucky that I started this company young, right? I was 26, 20, like almost 27. Um, and I had co-founders that were just like better than me and they're still better at me at a lot of things and more experienced than me at a lot of things. Um, and something that we had collectively was to really know the things that we're good and not good at and to hire the right people. So no one in the company thought that they would be a good chemist, right? Like, I didn't wake up and be like, oh, I, I can probably like do stuff with like, you know, give me some ingredients and I'll shove this up. Like, of course, this is not our background. So we hire like top class chemists and we discuss that, like building the team. Um, and, uh, and I would say that like, fortunately, like my role has been more or less like, you know, still focus on the product and the customer experiences they want. Of course, at the beginning, I used to do much more of different things every day. Like I would do like sales with her stylist. I would create like content for our online. I will do like go on photo shoot with, you know, like the, 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 the brand team and things like that. Um, but these things naturally just like shut off a little bit because we hire better people than myself or that, they, you know, the other co-founders to do so. So um, a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of, um, of things that we did in 2021 was to create a new leadership roles in, in our organization. So we hired our first like a VP of social impact. We are our first COO. We are our first CFO. We are our first CMO. Um, and it's great. Like again, like I'm I'm learning so much every day, and it's just feels good to know that these people are better than me at doing what they do. Paul, one one thing I love about your your title um, and kind of how you were just talking about things is like you said, you're VP of product, but as well as customer experience, right? And I think a lot of brands and especially digital native native brands, there's a massive gap between the product team, which is responsible for pushing iterations to the actual digital product, as well as the customer experience team, who's the ones actually talking to the customer, right? Um, so I personally think that it's one of the smartest thing you can do as a product org to be able to actually understand your customers, understand the information coming back. So could you talk to uh, us a little bit about how you ended up overseeing both of those departments? Was it just like a natural evolution? I know one of the products that you guys have built internally is your you know review and refine sort of product. So could you just tell us a little bit about how you thought about building that and how you actually ended up in that, um, in that role where you're actually able to oversee two of these absolutely mission critical portions of the business i i generally think that like this is one of a little bit about one of our secret weapon which is not a secret like i've been talking about that on twitter and whatnot but like uh i think that like having the feedback directly into product is very very important and very cool um as a co-founder sometimes it's hard when you like read complaints of your customers about your baby you're like what no no one here like you know like what's going on like um so like it, it requires a bit of practice but thank god we mostly have positive feedback so like it gets it makes it easier for, for me in my day today um i think it's something that we naturally evolve into where um we know that again the importance of creating a customized product is the feedback loop that we need to keep on improving this experience over time. Uh, and the importance of a direct consumer brand is not to sell one product and run away, right? Like no one can create a sustainable direct consumer brand with just one sale. It's the LTV. Um, and if you're serious about the LTV, of course you have a retention team and of course like this is what we have and we think about like lifecycle marketing and all these things. 
but also like just really using the feedback that you have from your customer into the product is so important. So we do it, we do this in multiple of different ways at Pros, but I would say that like we created one tool that you're that you're referring to, which is Review and Refine, which is the first time that for the first time like a customer will leave a review and the review will actually benefit the product. Um, so you know we know how reviews are important in e-commerce, like the number of like, faster reviews, whatever. Um, and um, the, the, one of the reasons why we, we, we had the like we came up with 345,000 five-star reviews on our website is because we gave a good reason to the customer to leave a review. And that the good reason is that we created the system that when you leave a review and when you like share with us how the product is working for you, we're going to find ways to keep on optimizing it. Uh, and that thing is super cool and super important because not only you improve your formula, but also then the data that we aggregate creates basically a network effect where like the more feedback we receive, we can also apply this feedback to people that might have some kind of similar needs as you. Of course, still being customized, but like we can see some patterns and we have like very talented data, you know, scientists and data analysts working on these things to understand like, you know, how can we leverage this information, this information or this data and how can we turn the data into information. So like that's one part, but the other part is just like the day-to-day, -day, like what do people are just sharing with you um, by email and how can you leverage that into an insight into creating a better customer experience. So one thing that we hear a lot, for example, is oh, that we heard a lot uh, initially on the first version of the consultation is that people will answer a question by email that we did not ask for. So like it's already pretty long and people are like, well, by the way, I'm also like just, you know, riding my bike everywhere to work and I'm wearing a helmet. Does that have an impact? And you're like, oh my God, this is so interesting. Like how can you, <laughs> and if you're a product person and you have this kind of feedback, you're like, Wait, maybe the course that the ad consultation can actually be a little longer than what we thought. Um, that's just right. Let's just see. Or someone telling you like, "Hey, I had hard wire at home. Like, how, like does that matter?" So basically, like I think the more we were learning, the more we got excited about like the feedback and the insight. The more we built the product around it and also the organization around it. You know that that's ama amazing to hear and applying that lens of you know customer-led product iteration to really fuel your growth i think that's like you said that that can be a secret weapon for a brand and not enough brands um are able to do it and i think you know part of the problem is like you said if you just set out to it's like you guys set out to build the brand this way and so this was built from the ground up for most shopify brands right like they it's hard enough for them to even tie their data together, let alone think about building this whole experience where you're collecting the data points. This is all proprietary, and then you're able to spin it up and build that into the experience. So I think that's a huge, huge advantage that you guys have um, have built out. And then, um, you know, just moving forward a little bit here, I know you guys had created a couple initial products. What? Uh, how do you guys think about expanding, you know, product SKUs, different types of products that you're offering just beyond those initial custom products that you had uh, created? Are there plans for more in the works or what, you know, what, what other, what other SKUs or things you guys have in the pipeline? Yeah. Well, I wish I could tell you everything right now. Um, but I think my, my, my team might be, might be upset if I said too much, but, um, I, the way we approach it is um, like customization is awesome because you can solve a lot with a kind of with one kind of product, right? Which explains the reason why you don't need to have like five different shampoos in your bathroom and use one kind of Monday, the other one on a Tuesday, whatever, to, to solve for all your needs or just mix them by yourself. Um, but still, there's like just limitation of what you can do with that with a kind of product. Um, so, for example, like you know, customization is also like a 
something very important for us to be, you know, an inclusive brand and like talk to everyone. Um, yet, if you want to have defined curls, like you need, you might need a curl cream. Um, and when we hear feedback about the customers, we had the leave-in conditioner already, and like, like, yeah, this is great, but like, I want more. Like, it's really doing great things for my curl, but I, how can I like style them more? How can we, def how can I de define them more? Um, then we, we had this, this insight and we worked with R&D like, hey, is there room for us to create a custom car frame? Is that something that would matter? Is that like a real innovation that we can bring on the market? And then it starts to like, you know, sparks idea like, yeah, actually, if it's a custom car frame, we can make it different depending on your curl patterns and different, depending on like your different like, um, like hair type. And then we can also like customize it depending on like your, the different needs of your, um, <clears throat> Or like moisturizing and things like that. So um, yeah, we take the insight, we work with R&D, like is there room to create a real custom product with that and make it like something that is better than the market? And if we can do it, then we'll do it. So that's how we come up with the top frame, that's how we come up with the custom dry shampoo, uh, that's how we come up with a custom leave-in. I mean, I could keep on, on going, but yeah. Yeah, no, I've, you know, as you're, I've never thought about these things. And as you're talking about it, I'm like, wow, it could even work for like, you know, people that travel a lot, your environment affects a lot, the kind of treatment that you might need. Like, if I'm in the Caribbean, I'm surfing, I'm all day in salt water. It's a very different need than, you know, if I'm in a really cold place, and there's a lot of people out there that are constantly traveling, changing environments, changing humidity. Um, and even what, yeah, I mean, it's endless. Yeah, and we, we ask all these questions in the consultation. Like, if you swim in the sea and if you swim in a swimming pool that has chlorine, it's not the same effect on your hair. And we need to know it. You no, know, I, I, I love all the, like it, like you said, it's just a rabbit hole you can kind of go down. And now it even has me thinking, like, I was like, oh, man, I was going to go for a swim this afternoon. And then I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I have the right shampoo for it yet. So I'll have to take the uh, the consultation and get through it. But um you know, for, for all of our listeners um, who are tuning in, where can they find and connect and learn more about you guys, pros, the brand, um, as well as you yourself, Paul? Where, where, where can they find you, whether you guys are on social or, um, you know, anything any like that? Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely on social media. Uh, so pros on Instagram um, and on our website, of course, like pros.com. Um, pretty easy to remember. I must say the first time that you have a, a short website URL as a co-founder is a, is a pretty unique experience. Um, and um, yeah, myself, I think, you know, like, I don't know, I don't tweet so much, but I, I'm on Twitter, uh, pardon me, so I'm always happy to give advice and to share uh, my thoughts there. I don't have enough time to do so. I'm really focused on the business and making this like uh, a great company, but if I can, I would love to do it. Um, so yeah, more than, more, happy to, more than happy to engage with anyone. Cool. Well, just wanted to thank you so much for your time and coming on, um, learning more about how you guys built Pros. Um, and best of luck as you guys continue to build and, and, and grow this business. Yeah. Thank you again so much for the invite. That was, that was great. Thank you so much.